0: It just makes no sense to kill someone who doesn't want to die for something that we have no nutritional necessity for nowadays. Why would we continue saying yes to that system when there's another world right there, another path right beside us that we could walk?
1: Welcome to the Vegan Manly Man Podcast. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening. My name is Jake Singer and I'm your host for the Vegan Manly Man Podcast, the show where we talk about self-growth, plant-based living and sharing the message of love, compassion, and peace for all beings. Today, we're going to hear from an amazing soul who dedicates her life to helping animals all around the world. She's a full-time vegan activist, speaker, and social media influencer who uses her voice to inspire and educate people on the ethical, environmental, and health aspects of a plant-based lifestyle. At the young age of only 23 years old, she has visited more than 23 countries, spreading her knowledge and compassion on the front lines of the animal social justice movement. When she's not traveling she can be found in sydney australia with fellow vegan activist james aspie who is most known for not speaking for an entire year to raise awareness for animal rights it is with humble pleasure that i get to introduce such an inspiring person and hear her thoughts and insights on effectively advocating for a vegan lifestyle please welcome to the show carly taylor
0: thanks so much jake that was quite the introduction. I appreciate it. And (laughs) thanks for having me on.
1: Of course, it is well deserved. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Not only are you a close friend of mine, but also somebody who has uh, inspired and taught me so many things along my own journey in life. Uh, I'm excited to be able to share with the listeners your insights on what it takes to become an effective vegan advocate and also debunk some common myths that are associated with living vegan. But before we dive into that, um, I always like to start my shows by asking my guests uh, a deeper question. So what would you say is your mission statement for life? What do you want your legacy to be?
0: That's a good question. Um, Just to to leave this world better than I I found it, I guess, and um, not strive for perfection because I don't know how obtainable that is in my lifetime, but do everything I can to push the world in... The direction I want it to go while I'm here, and just add some good, and uh, just make this world better in even just a small way, as 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 much as I can.
1: That's awesome, and it seems to be the common trend uh, across the board for everyone that I ask who comes on this show. Well, there you go. Just to- <laughs> vegans for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, what was your catalyst for for going vegan? Uh, what were your initial thoughts on the lifestyle and and like, Who did you initially look up to when you started making that change?
0: Um, I had a couple of vegan friends, but it was definitely something that I never thought I would do. Uh, about four years ago, I was living in Sydney, Australia for my uh, semester abroad. I did one of my semesters of university in Sydney. And I, for the first time, was kind of faced with the with the very simple dilemmas of which toilet paper do I buy at the supermarket, and um, like just stuff that I, I had never really been faced with before in terms of like the little choices we make throughout the day that either support an industry or don't. I actually remember being in the the cleaning aisle of the supermarket, like grocery shopping for myself for the first time because I was living alone for the first time. And just deciding if I should spend the few extra dollars on like the eco toilet paper that didn't cut down as many trees. And I think that was the first time that I was really aware of my impact as a consumer. I don't know why it hit me there, but it did. And I remember my friends, my, my vegan friends at the time, um, suggesting that I watch a documentary called Earthlings, which basically highlights all of the um, the, the different industries in which we exploit animals. And really shows from birth to death what happens to these individuals and what we're paying for when we support these industries. And I kind of was avoiding it for a while. And then I came to the point where I was like, okay, well, either I'm going to watch it and nothing's going to change, which I think is what's going to happen. or I'm going to watch it and make some changes. So I may as well face what I am paying for. Like I'm not going to stick my head in the sand any longer. So I watched this documentary um, and I was, Baffled, I had never seen anything like that. Um, so I was moved to cut out meat and dairy at that point for some reason. Um, fish being individuals, or um, the, the horrors of the egg industry that hadn't really sunk in yet. But I was on my path definitely. And then I started learning more information. I, I watched Gary Orloffsky's speech, which I was very inspired by. I watched some videos by Bite Size Vegan on YouTube in the early days, I watched the documentary Cowspiracy on Netflix. Um, and the more I learned, the more I was like, Whoa, this is a thing. This is like such a far reaching choice that affects everything we claim to care about. And just, um, is so in alignment with all of our values as a society of nonviolence of, of logic and reasoning to choose the best option. Um, so I, yeah, I, I decided to go vegan and, I, I was quiet about it for a while. Uh, not necessarily quiet about it, but I, I wasn't. I wouldn't call myself an activist. I definitely lacked just apprehensive. The, um, yeah, and I lacked the confidence to answer people's questions mm-hmm. in an educated way. Um, but then I, yeah, the more I learned, the the more practice I had talking to people about it. I just started getting involved. I met I met other vegans, and that kind of. Gave me that little bit of confidence of like, oh, like I'm not alone in this. Um, oh, because my original vegan friends were all like online.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So it it kind of just spiraled out into this this sense of community and this sense of of passion that I just needed to continue pursuing.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And I think uh, a lot of people think that veganism is such a secluded uh, thing, and it can be depending on where you live for yourself. But there is such an amazing online community and full of amazing people who are spreading the message in a positive way as well. Um, you know, do you do you still think that there's the, that stereotype of vegans being? these angry people who are you know throwing fake blood on people wearing fur and going into restaurants and chanting i mean where where is that line drawn now as far as like the stereotype of of how people perceive vegans you know like do you think in my opinion i think that the population is is big enough now that it's kind of straight away from you know that stereotype there's so many people now involved in this community from all walks of life
0: yeah it's definitely um something that is becoming I mean, as the vegan community grows, there isn't one stereotypical vegan anymore. So it's, you know, from all walks of life, from all professions, from all careers, from all personality types. So in terms of what activism someone is going to be comfortable with or not comfortable with or what they think is going to be effective or not effective, like there, there's everything to be found in the vegan movement in terms of types of people. So um, the, the stereotype of, of vegans being angry or aggressive or any of that, like, so just don't hang out with angry or aggressive people if that's your if, if, if that doesn't resonate with you, um, because there are so many vegans who are super positive and who, who are leading by example and advocating that way. And um, not to say that there's anything wrong with with direct action. Um, I'm sure we can get into that more later in this podcast. But I, I think that um, now that that stereotype is totally not um, not based in in the reality of today in terms of right. how many millions and millions of vegans there are and how there is definitely a place for everyone in this movement, um, whether or not you agree with certain tactics that certain people use to advance this movement.
1: Absolutely, 100%. I think at one point in time, there was a stereotypical vegan, you know, maybe in, in the 70s, um, you know, the 60s, the kind of the, the hippie era, I think that the typical vegan was was this kind (laughs) of clear cut image, Uh, you know, but now with the advancement of social media and the internet, the information has been able to spread so wide and reach all places of the world to all people in all walks of life from kids to elderly. And it's quite incredible. And we have so many amazing examples now, you know, people like Nima Delgado and John Venus, um, you know, breaking like the the skinny, weak, vegan stereotype and people such as yourself who are are spreading the message in in such a positive way, breaking the, you know, angry vegan, um, image. So, and
0: then we have psychologists like Dr. Melanie Joy and incredible animal rights lawyers. And there's just, there's so many people who are, um, doing this in a way that, that you wouldn't expect in terms of the vegan movement.
1: Absolutely. And doctors too. I think that that movement is really growing. Yeah, (laughs)
0: Yeah, like the the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine just had a um, demonstration outside of the White House. There was like, it's not something like over 100, maybe 200 doctors basically advocating for um, plant-based preventative medicine. Um, Yeah, and, and there's so much research backing them now. So that's a huge thing in itself.
1: And that's amazing because uh, for most of society, that's where their trust stems from. It's these um, professionals, these doctors, um, what you see on the media. So when you have people in that kind of position of, I don't necessarily want to say authority, but you know, with those credentials, Christine. I think that it, <laughs> right, yeah, it, it adds kind of that extra element of trust to what we're trying to promote here. Because there's so many sides to veganism, um, and I think that health is a big one that can get everyone involved, whether or not you are, you know, um, buying into the, the ethical principles or not, because I know for many vegans, myself included, we were lured in by the health benefits, and then later on adopted the, the ethical principles. So what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, what, what side of veganism to advocate for to get people most involved initially?
0: Um, it depends on the person. I think that the, the best advocates can look at the person they are talking to not as like, I need to get this person to go vegan. So I'm just gonna tell them everything I know about it, but can just work it strategically where you are just trying to bring this person a step closer. So it doesn't have to be the full thing. So I, I'd say I'm, I'm going to break this into two parts. So the first thing is, I think that it's important to not go into a conversation with someone saying, I need to get them to go vegan because they can sense that. It's not a good feeling that, mm-hmm. that you're talking to someone who their only intention in talking to you is wanting you to change something that you don't understand yet. Um, and I think it should just be about as much as you can with the information you have, just adding more points to the bucket, bringing them a step closer and just making it more about um, just just giving them the information that will lead them to their own conclusion instead of needing them to get to the, to the conclusion that you've reached in the conversation with you. And then also, I think it comes down to what are their values? What do you know about them in terms of what they're into? Um, I mean, it's, it's easier when you're talking to people, you know, or sometimes actually harder, but when I do like street outreach, if, if there's someone who clearly is a bodybuilder, you know, going with, with that first talking about veganism in the athletic world and how so many of, um, high ranking athletes are following a plant-based diet now and how incredible it is for recovery and how you can get all your protein and all that stuff. So, I think that uh, it just depends on the person you're talking to, and you need to be strategic enough to um, work in the arguments you're using. I, I don't like to use the word arguments, but but to use the to, to work in the information you're using with what you know their values already are, because that's where you're going to be the most effective.
1: Right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I I agree. Finding common ground.
0: Yeah, is, exactly.
1: Is so key, and and that's just in communication with. Any human being, you know, in a social situation, if you go up to someone, you know, chances are, if if you don't have social anxiety, you know, you can kind of go up to someone and kind of, you know, look at them and evaluate, okay, where am I going to be able to make a connection with this person, you know? I mean, generally it's on surface topics like sports or, you know, kind of stereotypical things, depending on who you're talking to. You know, Mm -hmm. like I could go up to most guys in the world and say, oh, hey, how about, you know, this football team or et cetera, et cetera. And it it immediately kind of creates this, like breaks the ice and then it opens up the doors. So I think if you can do that when you're talking with somebody about veganism, it's like, don't even necessarily talk about veganism at first, just find the common ground and be like, hey, I'm just like you. I'm another human being. I'm not here to- you know, change you or anything, but like, let's just have a conversation.
0: Because people like, because people want to listen to those who they like. So that's so right. important to be right. to be likable. I mean, in 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 this one style of activism, I think I really think that there's different ways to do it, and there's so many ways up the mountain. But in in my experience, this is the most effective, and this is what I like to 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 go with when with my activism.
1: Right. And do you also find that approaching people is a lot harder than? people coming up to you? I mean, like when you're doing like street outreach Mm -hmm. events and you're like handing out flyers, you know, are, are those people receptive who are just like walking by and like going along their day? Or is it going to be the people who stop for a minute and like are curious?
0: Um, I've never actually done a leafleting event, but, um, from what I've read on certain animal charity organization websites that that is super effective to just do leafleting because the, the ratio of how quickly you can hand out the leaflets to how many people are actually going to, um, To look into the information is actually quite high and significant, but I actually, the the street outreach that I do is um, through Anonymous for the Voiceless, which is a volunteer organization where we basically do these cube of truth demos where we have people um, holding footage from the different animal agriculture industries, like basically holding screens facing outward and they're in the shape of a cube, like the people standing and um, it kind of draws people in because it looks like a bit of like an art demo because they're wearing masks as well. And the purpose of that is, one, to make it more like art demo So people are like, oh, what is happening over here? And also to make it so that people can look at the footage without feeling like someone's staring at them. Right. So, um, yeah, so so that's the, the one side of it. And then we have the outreachers at the demo who are, if people have stopped and looked at the footage, then you're going up to them and saying, hey, how's it going? Have you ever seen footage like this before? And starting a conversation with them. So I've actually never like... Just started a conversation with someone like passing by, saying, "Hey, let me talk to you about veganism." I, I don't know how well that would work out, but I, I do like these um, these Cube of Truth style street outreach demos because we're only really approaching people who have already stopped, who are already looking at the footage, and probably have questions. So,
1: right, right, I agree. I think that that is a very effective way. I love Cube of Truths. Every time I see one, I just think it's an amazing form of activism because, exactly like you said, people who stop are already engaged they are stopping for a reason because they're curious so no matter what their interest is is peaked in some way they're definitely more likely to uh want to talk to you definitely how effective are these cupid truths you know how many people do you think that you at least plant like a good seed and not necessarily go vegan right on the spot but have Kind of like a positive outlook. We consider reaching that goal.
0: like someone added to the tally as someone who not necessarily has gone vegan on the spot, but has has ta- has seriously committed to looking into it further. So someone's like, yes, I'm definitely going to check out this documentary. And I mean, obviously, it's not going to be 100% accurate because people could just not do that. But I guess um, our tallies for Anonymous with Voiceless are always based on. Um, if, if we genuinely feel like this person is a step closer to going vegan in, in a major way um and usually it depends on the size of the cube and how many volunteers came out but we can have you know i've been at cubes that had hundreds of people go vegan that evening based on the the combined tallies of all the, the, the outreachers so i think it's an amazing wow. form of activism i think that um there's there's i think over 500 um cubes world like cube chapters worldwide so if you go to anonymous uh you can check out your local one and it's a really great way to start getting involved in activism because you can just take the cuber role and just be standing in the cube doing your part to show the footage um but watching people have outreach conversations and kind of learning from that but quite frankly practice makes perfect so even if you don't feel like yeah. you're quite ready for that um y- you might never feel totally ready so i really encourage <laughs> you to just to, ev- to everyone to just jump into um, starting to advocate and, and getting practice, responding to questions confidently and effectively.
1: Right. So in that realm, what do you do and how do you navigate a conversation with someone who watches this, this, you know, graphic footage, but is not phased or affected by it?
0: Um, you just go with other things. Like I, I'm not really, I've never really found success in, you know, looking at something that's clearly horrible with someone who's pretending they feel no empathy and saying, but don't you feel any empathy? Like, I mean, if someone, I think that we're all innately compassionate, but if for w- whatever reason someone has a roadblock where they are just not looking at it as something that is a bad thing, um, you just go with other things. Like, there's so many other facets to why veganism makes sense. So you might go back to the health benefits, you might go back to um, the. The fact that 20,000 human children a day star, uh, die of starvation, and we can completely well, take massive strides, at least, towards ending world hunger if we changed up our food systems and abolished animal agriculture because we're feeding 6 to 12 times more grain or more calories... Uh, mind you, to the, the animals that, and then we're getting back in their flesh. So it's a totally inefficient system. It makes no sense. We're actually growing enough food. If we did repurpose our, if we did repurpose our arable land to feed the entire world 10 times over. So, um, that really is something that a lot of people, um, claim to care about. So when you connect it to veganism, that's something that can sometimes make the connection for them in, in a big way. Um, but also it comes down to, I think that, if someone's watching slaughterhouse footage and not being phased by it, other than a very, very small percentage of people who, let's say, are genuinely just like sociopathic, then there's lots of other people to focus on. Like, I like I wouldn't focus on someone who's just genuinely being mean and saying like mm, "bacon" and just like trying to rally you up, like "okay, cool, have a great day," and then you're on to the next person who is receptive. Um, but I think that right. that a lot of the time, when someone's like, "Yeah, I'm really, I don't feel anything looking at this," there's a reason, and most of the time, the reason is because I think it's necessary. So I think that. Um, a good place to start with activism um, before you even go into the ethical stuff is getting them to agree or n- not to agree, but getting them to come to their own conclusion with the information that you're providing them that um, there's not one essential nutrient from uh, animal sources that we can't find in non-animal sources, so mostly plant sources and then with B12 that's actually a vitamin that is derived from bacteria in the soil, so that's not even from animals like bacteria from animals are injected with B12 before we slaughter them, so you may as well just get it right, right from the source Um I, I, do you want me to go more into to, to B12 because I feel like that's something that?
1: Yeah, go okay, for it. Okay,
0: I'll, I'll just I'll go on a little tangent here, but a lot of like that's an excuse we hear all the time. Um, oh, it's not natural because because you have to take a B12 supplement. Fifty percent of the world right now, including non-vegans, so mostly non-vegans because veganism is such a small percentage, um, are deficient in B12. So everyone should be taking a B12 supplement. It is safe. It is highly researched. Um, the reason that we're not getting it through our food is because we're not getting soil, like, because basically B12 is a vitamin that is produced by bacteria that live in the soil. And because our soils are so depleted of nutrients nowadays, namely cobalt, and because we're living in a hyper um, sterilized world where we're not ingesting any soil, we actually are not consuming nearly enough B12 through our diets, even if you do consume animal products. So the animal products you eat have been the, the animal that used to live was injected with a B12 supplement before being slaughtered. So it makes no sense to claim that you need to eat animals to get B12 when you're just eating a supplement that was filtered through their body. You may as well just get the supplement directly from the source. That makes way more sense. And it's super cheap and you need to just take a little spray of sublingual B12 every few days. And I mean, it's something that everyone should be doing anyway. So that really, it has nothing to do with veganism. That that argument does not discredit veganism at all in in my eyes
1: and your body stores it too and yeah you know it takes like at least 10 or 15 years to become B12 deficient so you really have to be going for a long time literally consuming none which is just going to be impossible if you live in in today's world where you know All, products yes. are going to be and fortified by it and
0: I mean I do want to add that I think that even though products are fortified by it and there are lots of stories of people never seeing a deficiency I think it is a good call to just have it in your supplement regime even if it's just like a once a week um, top up just because it is something that once the symptoms do hit of deficiency, it can be too late. And uh, I mean, not to sound dramatic, but it can be too late to easily get it back to, um, optimal levels. So it's just something to be vigilant about for everyone, not just vegans.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's super cheap too. I mean, it literally like, you know, you can get a $10 bottle that'll last for three, four months. Um, so going back to your story, of going vegan, how old were you when when you made that switch? I was 19. 19. And so talk about kind of the progression of being this new vegan until where you are now, being a, a full-time vegan activist. What happened in between those years?
0: Um, well, I, I was in school to be a dentist. That was the plan all along. I um, finished my undergrad, and I got accepted to dental school, and I was supposed to start actually early this year and um a few weeks before i was about to get this massive loan to pay for tuition it kind of just hit me that i I was so passionate about veganism i was so passionate about social justice issues i was so passionate about the environment and here i was going into a career that i wasn't that passionate about just to have the financial stability to do what i wanted to do later which for, for the first time which is funny to say because i should have thought about this before but i was like what this this doesn't make any sense what am i doing um and I kind of had this plan of like, oh, I'll have vegan leaflets in the waiting room and I'll get to show my patients' conspiracy. But I was really never that crazy about dentistry to begin with. So once I recognized like, um, how, how much I cared about this stuff, it just seemed silly to put so much effort and so much of my life into something that I didn't care about that much just so I could buy myself the freedom to focus on what I cared about later, um, which was a little bit right. scary. I, I've, I've I've always had like a 10 year plan for my life and I'm kind of just seeing where things go. And instead of being focused on, um, I guess that kind of stability that I always, um, I guess what's the word, but I always kind of fixated on and just had to fall back on. I'm kind of focusing on at at the forefront of my mind is just the changes I want to see in the world and the, the good I can do. And, um, just, just trying to focus on that and let everything else fall kind of second. I've, I've along my journey with veganism, I've learned more about like the zero waste movement and minimalism. So I'm, I'm definitely comfortable living with a lot less than I was before I went vegan. I've just, I've been so much more mindful of so many other things, like just, just buying less and buying secondhand if you need something and using, um, as, as little disposable plastic as possible, like bringing reusables for the things that you use every day. Um, that, that kind of went on a little bit of a tangent but I'm trying to bring it back to the point. I guess it kind of like I, I, I was so passionate about all the other these other issues that I just decided to make a life for myself on, based around those things and and f- figure out the the nitty-gritty stuff along the way.
1: <laughs> right I think that that is amazing for anyone listening is you know follow what what you feel inside of you you know what does your intuition say? what does your heart say what do you truly want to do in life? Yeah. And, and the rest will work itself out. It's, it's a journey. Life is a journey, but you know, do you want to have those regrets 30 years down the road and say, Hey, I wish I would have done this then because being so young, especially, you know, in your twenties, that's the time to really explore and go out and try these things. So I I think it's amazing. Sorry
0: to interrupt. I just wanted to add just one thing. Like I recognize that, um, me being able to say this for sure comes from a place of, of, of privilege, you know, and, and getting to live with my parents for as long as I did. And, And the upbringing that I had, like I'm, I'm so lucky and I'm so grateful, and I recognize that not everyone, you know, just has, um, like no, like no responsibilities to the point where they can say, "I'm just going to focus on the changes I want to see in the world and the things that I'm passionate about." But I think that a lot of people do, and I think that a lot of people, maybe even listening to this, might just be in a place where they, you know, think that they need these certain things in their lifestyles, so they're stuck in a place that they don't want to be. But just start from, like, square one. What kind of things do you need in your life? Like, obviously, you need a roof over your head and healthy food and water and all that stuff. And then work backwards. Okay, so how can I obtain those things? But, like, instead of making your life about how do I get enough money to be able to continue to obtain these things? if, if, If that makes sense? Like, I guess just working backwards to... Obviously, the realistic goals you need to have, but things like right. in certain in certain situations, do you really need a car? And if you do, do you really need that nice car? And do you really right. need new clothes yeah. every week? And if you do need new clothes once in a while, do you need to get them from that designer shop or can you get them from a secondhand shop which produces no emissions because it's already been produced? So I think that there's a lot of questions we can ask ourselves when it comes to like, oh, but I could never do that because of this, this, and that. But when you actually look and question yourself, it's not so black and white, I, I completely recognize that. But I think that a lot of us have a lot of room to play with in that gray area of prioritizing the things that matter to us and making a a lifestyle work for us that we didn't think we could afford or we could do.
1: Oh, yeah, 100% I agree. I think some people are truly dealt a bad hand of cards. And it takes a lot out of, of those people to really get out of their situations and follow their dreams. But for a lot of us, we are very, very privileged in our lives to have a lot of things and a lot of opportunities. And it comes down to what are you willing to sacrifice for what you truly believe in? It's very easy to stay comfortable in your life when when you have these amenities, when you have you know, the latest iPhone and a nice car and a good paying job and, and you don't have to worry on a daily basis or even if you don't have a great paying job it's still comfortable you're in this routine but you know to make to make changes in your life you have to change things and and that's that's the fact is just like you said do you really need that nice car or do you really need those nice clothes from that designer store so the opportunities are there it just it takes sacrifice and and commitment and i think a big thing is truly knowing who you are and what you want because i think that that's the first step most people are missing they don't really know who they are as a person and what they want to do in the world because mm-hmm. society has really created an environment to tell us who we are based off of the things we have and kind of like the jobs we do and and and, and nobody really goes deep inside themselves to understand yeah i think that there is a shift happening where a lot more people are realizing that but for the general population, it's like if you ask somebody, who are you? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a carpenter and and I like this football team. And it's like it's all these superficial things. But if you took that all away, who are you as a person? And if you can figure that out and kind of get your passion from from that start, from that baseline, I think it it makes it a lot easier to to move forward in, in your goals.
0: Totally agree.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean I hey I've watched it just in you as well, starting off, you know, I've, I've gotten, gotten to experience your vegan journey kind of
0: midway um, through. <laughs> from,
1: yeah. Early on. And then, and seeing you become the activist that you are now. I mean, there were times where we had talked about you wanting to get more involved and now you're a full-time activist who travels the world and, and does outreach and it's amazing. And it's, it's truly incredible because you have taken kind of this dream and you've, manifested it, uh, into reality.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
1: <laughs> of course. So where, uh, for a lot of people listening who may not know you, but they probably know your boyfriend, James Aspie, how did that come into fruition and how has that helped you in the sense of being a vegan advocate?
0: Um, well, he's just such a dedicated hardworking activist and has so much experience talking to people and um, so confident and educated at responding to people's questions and relating to them in a way that really gets through to them and is effective at helping people become vegan and helping vegans become active. So I've, I've just learned so much and, and we've been around each other literally every single day this year. We're actually just just coming up to our one year in a few days, um, our, our official anniversary. <laughs> and. We've Congrats. literally thanks we've literally spent every single day together this year, and yeah, I've just it, it's it's pretty special to be not just like in a romantic partnership with someone, but in like a to, to be able to work along someone, like I'm so passionate about the job I do, and then to work and then to to get to spend every day around someone who's just as passionate and who has so much to teach me um, is pretty it's pretty special. I, I feel very lucky
1: that's amazing. So I want to go into kind of what I'm going to call vegan 101. For anyone who is listening, these are going to be some common myths uh, that people put towards veganism, and I want you to debunk them in your own words. So we're just going to go one by one, and I'll read them out, and
0: you can respond.
1: (laughs) So the first one is going to be that uh, veganism is expensive.
0: Um, it can be expensive if you want it to be expensive. You can get all of your essential nutrients from super cheap plant foods. So, stuff like rice, beans, oats, preferably bulk to save the packaging, um, bananas, like frozen or discounted fruits and veggies. You, so, you can, it, it's totally doable to eat healthy, delicious, um, nutritious meals on a really, really cheap budget. If you Google stuff like budget vegan recipes, or there's a book I know called um, "Vegan on Four Dollars a Day." There's some good ideas in there, but in terms of like the expensive part of things, I mean, I still find it way cheaper than an animal product-based diet, even adding in the non-cheap vegan foods, like you know the the vegan meats or the vegan cheeses or the vegan restaurants, just for the fun experiences once in a while. Um, but you can totally do it on a really really tight budget. It actually is the the cheapest diet and not to mention all of the costs you'll be saving in healthcare down the line. Right. Um, but the food itself is genuinely the, the cheapest if you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet. Um, and then when it comes to the things you want to treat yourself to, that just, I mean, it's, it's very comparable. Like a, a block of vegan cheese is maybe a dollar more than a block of the other cheese. So it's, it's really not a big deal and um, it's not a necessity anyway for eating not, like no animal products
1: right 100 percent, and some of those specialty products too are really going to come down in price as the years go forward because demand is going to increase
0: that's a good point
1: more widely uh, distributed so companies like you know beyond meat and uh the impossible burger they're so widely distributed now that you can go to a restaurant and get an impossible burger for uh, the same price if not cheaper than a normal burger that's on the menu so The option to have that is is so much more easy and convenient, and it's only going to get better.
0: The Beyond Burger is actually at all of the A and W locations around Canada right now. The Canadian government actually just gave—I don't know if it was Beyond Meat or A and W, but something around that initiative—they gave them 150 million dollars for like plant-based protein. um, Right. Like it was the the pea protein.
1: It was to grow more peas.
0: Right. Yeah. Which is Um, one of
1: the main ingredients in the burger.
0: Yes, which is so cool, and you can get um, the Beyond Burger at A and W for like three fifty. So it's,
1: what? It's really, it's not cheap.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's it's. They're currently having like a half off thing, but I mean, oh, wow. it's been three fifty for as long as I've been going there in the last couple months. So.
1: And for any Americans that live close to the Canadian border, your dollar goes a lot further, so you can. Yeah,
0: get it that's like <laughs> that's like two dollars, Americans. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. <laughs> All right, let's go to number two here. Animals were put here for us to eat.
0: Um, I mean, if you can't listen to that statement and hear how, and hear how like, I guess I'd use the word speciesist, and I guess I'll explain what that means. But it's, it's akin to any system of oppression, like racism or sexism, where someone is saying that because of this classification, in this case, speciesism, humans are here, other animals are there. And if you actually break it down and ask and, and and go into the whys of that, there's a really great documentary called speciesismthemovie.com is where you can access it. But if you go into the why of why people think humans are superior to all other animals when we are a species of animal, um, it just comes down to things like intelligence. But then you'll ask things like, okay, well, what about a human who is not as intelligent or has a mental disability? Does that mean that they deserve the same treatment as non-human animals and then they'll be like oh no no no, of course not so then you go on to the next thing well look at all the accomplishments that that humans have done our, our symphonies and our skyscrapers have you personally done that if if we dropped you off in the forest do you think you can just build an iphone out of nothing like that isn't has nothing to do with anything and i think that sometimes it's a bit it, it's a bit of a waste of time to debunk that because if someone even wants to believe that that humans are superior to other animals um that's not even, it's not even necessary to debunk that because it just comes down to if we are superior to all other animals, then maybe we should make the logical to- uh, choice to not continue unnecessarily harming others and destroying the planet and destroying our health because animal agriculture does not benefit us in any way. And to continue saying, oh, well, we want to continue this horribly unjust and cruel and destructive system because we like the taste of bacon," like that doesn't really make us seem like we're we're at the top of anything there because that's not really um (laughs) i I guess intelligent or or sophisticated logic at all so if we really do think we're at the top we should have we should have mercy on those quote unquote below us we should have um if we truly think that we've dominion over all other animals like that is kind of open to interpretation in terms of what that word means like it should mean that we are taking care of them, that we don't want to cause them unnecessary suffering. And this has nothing to do with the with the olden days when we needed to hunt to survive or, or there was some kind of survival necessity in right. our consumption of animal products. But when you are living in a position where you could get all of your essential nutrients, eat all of your favorite foods, nothing is to change, but you're just doing, you're eating vegan food instead of food that contains like dead bodies and cow breast milk and stuff like that um there's no like it makes no no sense to say well we have well we get to do whatever we want with them like it just that isn't based in anything of substance it's such an um an obviously uh i guess it like in just remark that, it, that right. if you just t- take a step back and imagine someone saying that back in the day a, a white person saying that about why they should be able to own a black person or a husband saying that about why he owns his wife like before these movements became something that is a, a norm in society to not be racist and to not be sexist like it it just is so clearly obvious how this is just coming from a place of of ego and um and and superiority that isn't based in anything of substance
1: Right. I think the big thing to take away is that it's not a necessity anymore. So, even if animals were here for us to eat, it's not a necessity. So, why would we want to cause unnecessary harm? It's just like fire was put here for us to cook food, but now we use microwaves and stoves and all of these different mediums of uh, cooking appliances, you know? So, it's just like just because something was here for us at one point. If it's no longer a necessity, you know, we should be looking at how we can evolve as a species.
0: I agree completely.
1: All right, so let's go to number three. If people didn't hunt or eat animals from factory farms, there would be an overpopulation and farmers would lose their jobs. I get this one all the time.
0: Mm, Okay, well, that's kind of a two-pronged one because I think that you would argue the hunting thing differently than the factory farm thing, but I'll go with the farming thing first. the overpopulation we we breed these animals into existence it, it's it's crazy that most people have been paying uh, have been contributing to these industries financially for all of their lives and have don't understand like the basic premise of supply and demand like these these animals don't just like exist in a field and then they're just like picked off one by one when you want to order a steak like they're bred into existence because the farmer has a certain number of animals that they can sell to the slaughterhouse every year because the slaughterhouse knows they have a certain number of carcasses they can sell to the butcher every year and the butcher knows that there's a certain amount of meat they can sell to the grocery store every year because the grocery store knows that they're selling it to the customers. So it's all about supply and demand and when we stop making a demand for these products, when we stop creating that gap in the shelf, it's not going to be filled down the line. It's not going to be a, a new a, a animal. is not going to be bred into existence and it's not going to necessarily, it's not as black and white as saying when you don't do that, like that will like an animal will be saved explicitly. I recognize it's not that right. simple but it comes down to We're seeing it happen right now as the demand is decreasing for animal products. Farmers are breeding less and less animals into existence. They're becoming less and less profitable, and they're realizing, okay, this industry is not really – making money anymore and it's not really sustainable and it's not really necessary to cause a necessary harm when we don't have to. So let's switch to something else and let's turn our arable land into feeding the world in a kinder, more sustainable way. And we see that happening so much nowadays. There's there's hundreds, if not thousands of stories every year of, of meat or dairy farmers that have switched to farming non-animal foods and are doing very well. And I think that when you look at the argument of farmers might lose their jobs, like, did did we have an outcry about like the the uh, the VCR people losing their jobs when DVDs <laughs> came out? or when you know what I mean, like right. when Netflix came out, oh, the DVD industry, like we gotta maintain their jobs. like it just that isn't an argument. Like that's not how how economics work. Like it just right. has to do with with what like, like obviously, obviously, I, I have compassion for farmers. I think that they are all, m- most farmers just want to feed the world and right. are just and are traditional and and like doing what their family has done for generations before. But we can evolve too. So we can feed the world and we can make money and we can make it so that no one has to, like I, like I don't want farmers to go hungry either, but we can feed the world in much more sustainable ways. And it's, and it, it's something that as the demand continues to drop for these products, government subsidies are going to start to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely foresee, you know, f- farmers being able to get grants and subsidies to switch their um, arable land to growing plant foods. And, you know, there's an example, there's a a sanctuary now in Ontario called Farmhouse Garden Animal Home. And the owner used to be a, he used to have a a beef farm, essentially, like an organic grass-fed beef farm. And he also did vegetables on the side. And a friend of mine, Edith, who was volunteering at the vegetable part of the farm, who's been vegan for a long time, basically like had a chat with the farmer and that this farmer loves his animals, like feels so sad when he sends them to the slaughterhouse, but thinks that he needs to just has never considered another way. And I think that that's most of the world. It's they're not bad people. They just haven't considered that there's this other path right there for us. So what happened is he ended up stopped. He stopped breeding his animals. He stopped sending them to the slaughterhouse. There's about 10 still there. And based on the, um, donations from the community and profits from um, his his vegetable farm like they're just they're just going to get to live their entire lives in peace with their families and their friends and people can come to visit and get to know them as individuals which is really special i love sanctuaries for that reason and he's doing well he's 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 just switched to making money off vegetables and i mean uh, you know, look i I'm, I'm not someone that is specialize in understanding exactly which land would be appropriate for which crop but there are people who do that there there's there's services that can be offered to help farmers make that transition um i know a good site is farmkind.org i'm not sure what exactly services they offer but they specialize in basically like giving farmers the information they need to consider other options and and again it just goes back to just because someone is making money off of something doesn't mean that it's a reason to advocate for it to be continuing. This is an industry that is causing unnecessary suffering. If we if we include marine animals in the tally, we kill, we take the lives of 8 billion individuals every single day. I would rather live in a world with 8 billion fewer deaths. I would rather live in a world with no slaughterhouses if we don't need to have them anymore. So we can just start transitioning to that. And, and obviously with compassion, with respect for the farmers, but I, I, there's no argument for they should... Continue doing this unsustainable, unethical, unhealthy thing just because it's making the money. Like that makes no sense. And when someone actually breaks down that argument, hopefully they they realize the same.
1: Agreed. And it's going to be a shift as well. I think people kind of idealize this uh, this theory, like it's the world's going to go vegan overnight, and there's going to be all these animals, and then the farmers are just going to be out of luck when when really there's going to be so much time to make this this shift and transition. And it's happening now, just like you said. And so, over over the course of time, these these things, the, these old industries are are going to phase out, and there's going to be new creation and and new jobs and and new products. And that's that's the way that economics have been since you know <laughs> the beginning of time. It's like the the trends shift, and 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 you either adapt or or you fall behind, and and you go out of business, and and that's. From a, from a business sense, that's that's purely business. There's nothing wrong with that. I think that we have to understand, you know, farmers are very important, but they went into the business of farming. And now that the trends are shifting, they either have to adapt with it or they're going to go out of business. And, and that's purely the business side of things. So, yeah. All right. We're going to go on to the next one, number four. And I'm going to tie number five into this one as well, because they kind of go hand in hand. Um, so there's the statement that there is nothing wrong with backyard eggs and milk, and that also humane and organic meat is better for animal well-being.
0: Um, first, from the practical side of things with the backyard eggs, let's say, you need to ask the questions like, where did that hen come from? And most of the time, she's going to like either whether you're getting her from a backyard hen operation or a free range or organic farm or anything like that. Most of the time, or if not all of the time, the, the hens are coming from hatcheries, which is who, which is the uh, place that replenish the supply of these quote unquote free range hens for all of these um these industries. And at these hatcheries, half of all the babies born are going to be a male and because they don't have a female reproductive system to exploit. They, standard legal practice, this happens in every single hatchery, and this is considered humane. These one-day-old baby male chicks are thrown into a giant macerator, giant blender, and they're just ground up alive. And that is considered normal and just an economic necessity because it's the cheapest way to dispose of them, and they're considered a waste product of the industry. And um, when people are buying eggs, whether they come from, from backyard hens or from from free range it, they're all coming from these hatcheries and that is just that in itself do you need any more information like if you had a blender turned on in front of you and a little peeping baby male chick in your hand could you honestly put him in there to be ground up alive just to have an omelet for breakfast when you could have some tofu scramble jake you make the best tofu scramble you should <laughs> you should share your recipe for everyone or, or avocado on toast or like <laughs> like it's Like, really? You would not do that. Most, the vast majority of people would not do that. So that's in itself is a huge thing. So I think that like that alone is a reason not to eat eggs. But let's say that you are getting it from a, I don't know, you you rescued a hen, which again, this doesn't actually happen, but let's just say it for for argument's sake. Um, It actually is way more beneficial to either be feeding her eggs back to her. Um, so she could replenish some of the calcium and the nutrients that were lost. Because today's he- today's layer hens in the industry are artificially selected to breed up to 300 eggs a year when the, the their same species usually only um, lays, I mean, did I say breed? Lays like 10 to 15 a year. So she is going through so much stress trying to get all these eggs out of her reproductive tract, and a lot of hens actually die from reproductive system problems. So a lot of people who rescue hens actually end up getting them, I don't know the the process to it, but if you, I'm sure you could find this on Google, but um, the best thing to do if you've rescued a hen is to actually get her like an implant or some kind of like birth control related thing so that she stops laying as many eggs. It just doesn't make sense to continue perpetrating an industry where we are just taking something from someone that's not ours, and again, that we don't need. It's completely not necessary. There's not one nutrient in eggs that we can't find in plant sources. It's not even good for us. Um, And then it also, I think it takes a little bit of power out of the statement of saying, I'm vegan. Because if you're like, oh, I'm vegan, but I eat some backyard eggs, then someone's like, oh, see, that's where you're getting your protein from. We need some animal products in our diet. And I think that it's it's very powerful to say, no, I don't eat any animal products, and look how healthy and thriving I am. And for just to have an egg once in a while from this from this individual you keep cooped up in your backyard, like just for the sake of giving you eggs, like why? Let's just get away from the idea of using other individuals as property and and for our benefit. And right. then with milk, I mean, I've never really heard of, of backyard milk. Um, I guess like small farms like is, is goat, what maybe.
1: Is where. Like if you have yeah, like a may- goat or something.
0: May- maybe. Oh, that's even weirder than eggs. I, okay. I got that
1: question maybe. the other day, actually, right. and, and that's why I wanted to ask you right. about it as well, oh. because someone said, if you had a goat in your backyard, and I was right. like, first of all, even when I ate dairy, the, the idea of goat milk and goat cheese was just kind of right. weird already, but... <laughs>
0: Um, Okay. Well, it just, it just comes down to like, everyone needs to take a step back and think about what milk is. It's breast milk. It's lactation fluids from a mammal that just gave birth to a baby that is creating a substance to feed her baby. Like it, it is not meant for human consumption. It is, it can in no way be ethical because if we are ever having cow milk or goat milk or any kind of mammal milk, it means that their baby is not. And even if like, I mean, I don't know. I guess someone could come up with a ridiculous argument for, well, then the baby died and I would need to milk her. Like, that's not the reality. And then it comes back to, like, what's the vast majority of um, this industry perpetrating, right? And, like, just being able to, to say, no, I don't consume anything that comes from exploiting an animal and taking something from her against her will has power. And to be able to show that you are thriving, without any animal products, I think is is such an incredible form of advocacy, even without talking to people, even just from like the leading by example side of things. Right. So there's, and then in terms of the humane meat, cause I, cause we're kind of talking about like really small backyard operations, which again, is not the reality. Like if people think that that's where they're getting their animal products from, they're sorely mistaken. But let's go even to, to the next level of that, like humane or free range or organic or all those marketing tag words even if that was actually accurate in terms of the the better conditions they're given while they're alive which is often not the case like free range eggs just means that instead of one chicken in a tiny little cage there's 10,000 chickens in a tiny little shed so it really it doesn't doesn't mean anything it's a marketing tag word to get you to buy more product but even if it did mean something all of these animals are sent to the slaughterhouse every single one of them and if you can honestly if, if you can say that you would never want to send your dog to the slaughterhouse at the end of his or her life mu- much less for you to be sent there as someone you love like just put yourself in their position why would we ever why would we ever continue perpetrating a system unnecessarily that results in innocent sentient beings who are conscious are aware of the realities this is this is scientifically proven that that animals are sentient that they that there is that they are just as much here as as we are in in that spiritual way and it just i mean no matter what the conditions are they are sent to a slaughterhouse where they will be killed against their will no animal just dances into the slaughterhouse like happily like we'd all like to believe these are they're scared and they're confused and they go in there and terrible things happen to them and they come out chopped up into pieces so someone can eat their body like they There's know no, as well.
1: They, they know they, what's going to Of course happen, they,
0: they you know? know. Like they, you watch a video. they can smell the fear. I've gone to so many vigils. Like they're terrified. Like they can – and then in the slaughterhouse, like to see – like a lot of the time they actually see their brothers and sisters being killed in front of them, knowing that they're waiting their turn. Like what goes on in there is just beyond our wildest nightmares. And even if it really was – again, it's not like this, but for argument's sake, if it was really just like a bullet to the head – None of the other animals knew somehow, again, that wouldn't be financially viable. Like, think about the efficacy and how many animals we kill every day. But even if that was the case, you're still taking the life of someone who didn't want to die. They don't go in there willingly. They're all for babies. For an unnecessary
1: reason as well. Pigs
0: are killed at six months old. Um, the the layer hens, well, I mean, I'll actually go back to, to the, the chickens that we breed for their bodies. They're killed at like six weeks old. Like they're all babies at a fraction of their natural lifespan. And, it just makes no sense to kill someone who doesn't want to die for something that we have no nutritional necessity for nowadays. Why would we continue saying yes to that system when there's another world right there, another path right beside us that we could walk?
1: Yeah, 100%. And it's uh, it's it's very deep and, and disturbing when you get into the realities of these industries, but unfortunately, that's what it is. And Uh, companies have done an amazing job at marketing humane and organic to trick the consumer into thinking that they're they're doing better by these animals but unfortunately it's just not the case and like you said no matter how well these animals are treated they still go to the slaughterhouse I mean there's maybe one percent of meat that you can get at like a local farm where they slaughter on site but even then it's it's you know like throat slitting and, and still some pretty gruesome stuff And at the end of the day, like, you know, if if it was your life and and if someone said, okay, for the next 10 years you can have this mansion and all this money and you can and do all these things and you'll be treated so well. But at the end of that 10 years, you're gonna suffer a torturous death. You know, do you think that you would take that? It's it's something I I think people just need to kind of make the connection that these animals are individuals. They do they do show emotions, you know, just like our cats and dogs do, you know, people can relate to that because they see it on a daily basis. They come home from work and their dogs are wagging their tail and jumping up on them and they're happy to see them. Why is there this disconnect that these cats and dogs are, you know, friends while these other things are food and it's, it's social conditioning. It's just what we've been told to believe.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I. I think it's just so important for people to just really sit down and just and just think about it for a second, you know, don't let what others have told you, what society has told you be what you believe. Think for yourself, really look inside yourself, say what are what are my my values? You know, do I have compassion for animals? And if you could say wholeheartedly that you wouldn't send your dog to the slaughterhouse or you wouldn't eat your cat, then then you're you already have the principles of of veganism. Within you, it's just a matter of deconstructing these walls that have been built up by society to believe otherwise for profit.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's so much that there's so many, I guess, selfish benefits to to going vegan just on a spiritual level, just in terms of like how much richer this world is. Like when you when you widen your circle of compassion, this is me butchering an Einstein quote, but when you widen your circle of compassion to embrace all creatures and all living things, you you just see the world differently. There's so many more, not humans, but people, non-human people, individuals who who have families and friends and their own lives going on. And you just, you just see the world as so much... Obviously, there's so much more darkness that you're now aware of, but there's so many more just people doing their own things. And by people, I mean, like all the different types of animals, including humans. And um, it's just... It really changes things when you can look at non-human animals as as individuals, and 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 you already do it with your dog and cat. Um, y- you already you already see them as you know their own their own being, yeah. And and it's just about th- there's no difference between a dog and a cat and a pig and a chicken and a fish and a cow. There there really isn't. It's just it's just what our society
1: mm-hmm.
0: has has you know fallen into again based on profit so you said it well
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right we're gonna go into the last one here and this is probably the most popular myth and i think it's one that is pretty much debunked at this point and the majority of the population knows but surprisingly there are still some that don't that vegan diets don't have enough protein
0: everyone has heard this one all the vegans um yeah. Well, it just comes down to, I think that when people ask me that question, I usually hit them with a, so what's protein? And a lot of people don't even know, like they're just spewing off um, the the myths and um, conditioning that the meat industry and the dairy industry and the egg industry have been brainwashing them with since they were kids. And I, I, I mean it when I say brainwashing. I remember I was. Um, Again, I'm going on a tangent, but it's relevant. But I, I was doing like a teaching assistant co-op gig in a kindergarten classroom, and the little kids were were coloring in these pictures of of a happy cow getting milked, and at the bottom of the work uh, of the worksheet, it said sponsored by the Canadian dairy industry. Yes. And I and I remember I forget who mentioned it the other day, but there are like posters in U.S. schools that say milk does a body good. Like oh, what yeah. else? What else? Pri- like. I'm sorry, what other private institution gets to advertise in public schools? Like it just shows how powerful they are and how many, like how indoctrinated we've been by these industries that are really just based on how much money they can make. Um, but going back to the protein thing, comes down to amino acids. So there are certain essential amino acids we need to get through our diet that our body cannot synthesize on its own. And all of them can be found easily in plant sources. The protein combining myth, Again, is a total myth. Um, You don't need to eat certain amino acids with other certain amino acids to have a complete protein. If you eat a varied whole foods plant based diet, you will get more than enough protein every day. There's a really great book by Dr. Garth Davis called "Proteinaholic," which basically talks about um, our society's obsession with protein and where to find it on a plant based diet. But um, and just on that health note, I also wanted to mention one more resource: VeganHealth.org is really, really great. It basically goes through all of our essential nutrients and where to find them on a plant-based diet. And it's all research-backed with all the references on there.
1: Amazing. And if you're still wary about the protein myth, there are tons of amazing bodybuilders online that you can go search and see that clearly there is ample amount of protein in a vegan diet. You can not only survive, but thrive and be an elite athlete as well. Being vegan, there mm-hmm. is a documentary coming out very soon that I am anxiously awaiting, called "Game Changers." Is it not out yet? I don't believe is it is out yet. It oh, said, I'm so excited to see it. I know, me too. It said fall 2018, and then they just switched it to fall slash winter 2018. So I'm just like on the edge of my seat because I think that it is literally going to be a game changer. And yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see it. but I think that a lot of people who are kind of on the fence about the vegan lifestyle are going to get such an in-depth look at athletes who are doing this. And we all look up to athletes and celebrities. It's just kind of part of our, our human, um, humanness, I guess, is that, you know, we like to see familiar faces. So I think that that's amazing. And it's going to inspire a lot of, uh, the younger generation as well, kids who are looking up to some of these these uh, professional athletes and saying, "Oh wow, they can do this and eat this plant based diet. I want to be just like them, so I'm going to eat that way too." So, uh,
0: yeah, I, I agree completely. I think it's really cool to have so many celebrities and people of influence and elite athletes, like you mentioned, um, doing doing the vegan thing and 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 showing people how awesome it is because they have such a great reach.
1: Absolutely. Well, Carly, it's been amazing talking to you and hearing your insights, uh, not only on some of the vegan basics, but as well on how to be a better advocate for this lifestyle, which does so much good in the world. So where can people find you on social media to learn more and stay up to date with what you're doing and how to be uh, continuously a better advocate?
0: Um, my Instagram is carlytaylor269 and we also have a YouTube channel that's called James and Carly, but Instagram is the, is the main way I spend my time on social media and I try to respond to as many messages as I can. So that's probably, um, would be the, the best place to, to get hold of me.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and we will talk soon.
0: Thanks Jake. Bye.
1: Hey guys, thank you so much for listening if you receive value from the show i ask only two things one is to share with a family member friend or loved one and two is to leave me a rating and review on your podcast streaming platform it really helps increase the visibility of the show and with your help together we can share the message of love compassion and peace as far as it will go if you are someone who is interested in going vegan or needs guidance with fitness nutrition or behavior change visit theveganmanlyman.com and click Level Up on the homepage. My name is Jake Singer, and this is the Vegan Manly Man Podcast.